Today I'm going to talk about the theology of weakness. Today I'm going to talk about strength in weakness. No one likes to be weak, right? Come on. No one likes to be weak or feel helpless or worse, feel useless. How many of you here have not been infected by COVID? Wow, I can see some hands. Don't know whether to clap or not, but your blood is precious for experiment, by the way. We're going to draw your blood someday and we're going to test a vaccine out of it. But when I was down with COVID at the start of this year, I was knocked straight out for 10 days and it sure felt horrible to be weak. But it's not the weakness that got to me. It's the fact that I had no more voice. For a pastor to lose your voice, it's really quite something to deal with the silence, especially when you know we, we keep talking all the time, right? To be completely silent because you had nothing left sure felt horrible. Sure felt weak. And I hated that feeling. I'm so glad that God healed me. I came out of it, got my voice back. I was able to come back to ministry with a fresh new perspective on what it means to be weak. And as much about the theology of weakness. And I've chosen a classic passage that all of us need to understand from 2 Corinthians. I know we're getting to 1 Corinthians. But let me preach from 2 Corinthians like a glimpse of what's to come for 1 Corinthians. Equally exciting. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 10 is what I call a classic exposition on the theology of weakness and how strength comes in the midst of it. So allow me to read God's word for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 10. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which men may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in trying to look at this text, the context is really important. Hear me out, my friends. Stay with me. At this time when the letter was written to the church in Corinth, this would have been the second or third letter, there was a rival group in the church of Corinth which opposed Paul. They were criticizing Paul's ministry. Now, this rival group was a group of false teachers. Now, these false teachers, they were arrogant. They were power-hungry. And the church in Corinth, they were falling prey to these false teachers. They were taken advantage by them. In fact, these, this rival group was questioning Paul's authority and credibility as an apostle. 
They said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, they said, ah, Apostle Paul, his letters are maybe very weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is very weak. His speech is contemptible, which means Paul is a weak chap. He cannot speak very well. He's not worthy to be an apostle. That's what they're trying to say. And so Paul responded. In chapter 11, Paul tells the church in Corinth that in terms of heritage, in terms of overcoming struggles and challenges, he's no less. He's no less than these super apostles. And that's why verse chapter 12, chapter 12, begins with a boast. The boast. Yes. What's the boast? You see, in those days, to be regarded as high in status, as a super apostle, you need to be able to flaunt all your spiritual encounters. That's how you qualify to be a super apostle. So Apostle Paul did that. He flaunted. He boasted. He declared that he was caught up to the heavens 14 years ago. This was probably the time when he was still in Tarsus, before Barnabas came to get him to help out at Antioch. And it's very interesting that Apostle Paul spoke in the voice of the third person. Instead of saying, I was caught up to third heaven, he said, you know this guy? He was caught up to third heaven. I know of a man. He saw visions. Actually, that's a very rabbinic, a very teacher way in those days of speaking. It's like saying, oh, Pastor Ray is the PIC of Westy Methodist Church. Apostle Paul would say, you know, there's this guy. His name is Raymond. Yeah. He, this guy, this guy, he's the PIC of Westy Methodist Church. That's what he's trying to say. And really, he was saying, I, I was caught up in the third heaven. I know of a person in Christ. And this is the ancient style of creating mystery. Who's this third person in heavens? Truth is, the Apostle Paul had much to boast. He had a supervision. He had a magnificent vision. He was caught up to the third heaven, which means he was caught up to paradise. That means that Apostle Paul had a very sudden, very unexpected bodily experience into God's intimate presence. Come on. Paul didn't even know whether he was in body or out of body. What a spectacular experience. Wow, this Paul, he really had a lot to boast. But instead of boasting, he says, I will not boast of any of these spiritual encounters. I will boast about my weakness. Why would anyone boast of your weakness? We live in a society and culture that tries to cover our weaknesses. Look at Instagram. Nothing weak about it. Where to eat, how you look, all filtered. Right? It's all filtered. Who dares to boast of their weaknesses? Who dares to come and say, I'm not good at this. You go to a job interview. Hey, sorry, I can't do this. Will you still employ me? No one does that. It's the same in the ancient times. No one would bother to boast of your weaknesses. Instead, you try and sell yourself. All the more as a super apostle. And yet, the apostle Paul says, I will not boast of anything. These super apostles may do it, but I will not boast. Instead, I will boast of my thorn. I will boast of my thorn. The thorn, yes. Paul was kept humble through a thorn in the flesh. And the Greek word for thorn is scallops, which literally means a sharp and pointed object. It's like a peck, right? It constantly irritates you. It pokes you all the time. 
And so Paul was given a thorn. And Paul describes it as a messenger from Satan. It reminds us of how Job, remember Job? In the early chapters of Job, the Lord permitted Satan to test Job. And so my friends, what then is this thorn in Paul's flesh? First, I want you to know that this thorn here does not refer to intentional sinning without repentance. This thorn is not like, oh, I don't care about it. I just carry on sinning. I don't want to even repent. That's not what this thorn is. Just in case you think, oh, I have a thorn in my life. I don't have to repent. No. This thorn, rather, is struggle. It's a struggle of the flesh. Because for 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, it is a struggle in the flesh. And early fathers like Martin Luther and John Calvin, they have interpreted that way. It can also mean a physical sickness or a condition that Paul had. In fact, if you read other letters of Paul in Galatians 4, 13 to 15, he tells the church in Galatia, you know, I know you love me so much, you have given me your eyes. And therefore, scholars have said that actually Paul had an eye problem, made worse by the blindness he experienced on the road to Damascus. Then, it could also mean what we call a trial and affliction. And it can be a season of challenge and difficulty that you go through. And that can be your thorn. It's a season. And the Apostle Paul thought, went through many seasons of challenge, of persecution. And indeed, that thorn was both physically, emotionally, and spiritually painful. Today, all of us have thorns in our lives. I see some nodding. Let's not run away from that. We have things in our lives or a season that we may go through that it's painful. It's emotionally painful. It's spiritually draining. It's physically deep. Just, just taking out everything of you. And I want to share with you three discipleship lessons from the text today. And I want to encourage you on this theology of understanding your weakness. How the thorns may cause you to be weak, but God's strength still comes on you. And this is the first... Discipleship lesson. My friends, today I want you to embrace God's purposes for your thorns. Do not despise your thorns because they may be what you need. Most of the time we say, God, I don't want this. Of course we don't want. We don't want suffering. We don't want thorns. But practically speaking, if you ask me, that's just what you need. What I need? Yes. Because number one, thorns keep us humble. The thorns actually kept a purpose to keep Paul humble, despite the extraordinary revelation he had. The thorn kept Paul pinned down, you know, from soaring pride to grounded humility. The thorn brought him face to face with his own vulnerability and his weakness. I think that sometimes God gives us thorns to keep us grounded. Because God knows that we need that. Otherwise, we will run on our pride. I don't know about you, but I've had thorns in my life where God kept me thoroughly humbled. Thoroughly humbled. What is it for you today? Next, I think another purpose that God gives us thorns is to lead us to a place of surrender. You know, three times he asked the Lord, Lord, please remove my thorns. Now, every time you come to three times in the Bible, it's not literally three times. Huh? Jesus prayed how many times in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
three times. No, three times doesn't mean he only literally prayed three times. It's a very ancient way of writing that emphasis, threefold. That means that Jesus prayed more than three times. He prayed many, many times. There's an emphasis to it. So when Paul said, I prayed three times, it means that he was praying very hard. There was a lot of emphasis in his prayers. Lord, take that away from me. But what did God say? God said, no, I'm not going to take a thorn away from you. Instead, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And that means that even with the thorn, you will remain surrendered to me. You will surrender and say, God, I need you. The thorn is not being taken away, but God says, I will give you enough grace for you to continue to stay faithful. Now today you may have a thorn that is simply unbearable. Maybe an illness. Maybe an affliction. Maybe you are living with the consequences of what someone did to you. It's a betrayal. It's, it's, it hurts so deep. Every now and then it pokes at you, right? It comes and pokes at you and you, you get into anxiety. You get into fear. I'm just speaking to someone earlier at this afternoon crying her guts out over the phone because of a betrayal by her husband. Just helpless. For me, I just, I don't know what to do. I just have to pray and to comfort. My friends, today the thorns are real. And some of us wrestle with our children. Why can't my child be well? Why is my child so rebellious? Why can't I keep this job? The thorns are real, my friends. But I also know that God has a purpose for every thorn. There are divine opportunities for faith and trust. I know it's not easy. But let me invite you to a place of surrender if God's calling you this evening. Because you're not here by chance. And God may be inviting you to a deeper place where you say, Lord, I don't understand why I have to go through this thorn. Or I have this thorn. But Lord, I want to respond in a deeper surrender to you this evening. I also want to say that some of us have become numb to the thorns in our lives. When I prepared for this message, this point really spoke to me. Some of us have numb, become numb to the pricks of the thorn. You know, the thorns prick us, but after a while, our threshold of pain has gone up. So I have this neck ache here for years. I have this neck ache here. It's, it's part of my life now. It's chronic. So, you know, I go and I get neck, shoulder massage, right? And it helps for a while, but after a while, I just tolerate the pain. Only when it gets very stressful, like I got multiple sermons to preach, right? And I don't sleep enough and lots of things happen. Then I realize the neck pain is getting worse. And I realize that I got to do something about it. But then, and then and I don't do anything about it. Then the neck pain just stays with me until at some point you know that neck, neck pain can turn into something worse. Truth is, I think a lot of us are kind of like immune to the pricks of the thorns in our lives. We don't want to do anything about it. We're content to let it prick us every now and then. My friends, no. Can I say that one of God's purposes when He gives thorns that prick you every now and then is to say, God, what do you want me to do? And I think God invites us to decisive choices and action that we can take. I was ministering to this lady, part of a divorce process she went through. And then she said to me, Pastor, you know, for years I've hated him because he betrayed me so bad. What happened was one day 
this thorn that I have in my flesh for years, I've decided to forgive him. It doesn't mean the pain is any less, Pastor. But I've just decided to stop wanting to get back at him. I've decided to let go and say, God, you you take over the justice for my, my family. And when she made that decisive choice, that thorn went away. Does it still hurt her? Of course it does. But the thorn no longer has her under her grip. She's set free. Some of us, you just need to make that choice. I don't know why it is. Maybe a choice for obedience. It may be a choice of letting go. It may be a choice of saying, God, I'm going to walk out of this. I'm going to stop doing this. But when you make that choice, the thorn goes away and you are set free. That's the first discipleship lesson. Embrace his purposes for your thorns. The second discipleship lesson. Oh, I love this. Discover his strength in your weakness. Our thorns make us weak, but yet in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. That's why God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a paradox there. We mouth it often, I'm weak so that I'm strong. But you will only understand what strength means when you understand what weakness entails in this verse. You see, weakness in this verse is the Greek word, asthenia. Asthenia is a root word for holding it together. So in weakness, it simply means this. You are unable to hold it together when you come apart. Boom. When you fall apart, literally come apart. That's what weakness means here. Paul says, when I come apart, God's strength comes and holds it together. When you come apart, God's strength makes it stronger. God's strength is made perfect. This word perfect here does not mean that it is blameless. It is sinless. No. This word perfect here actually means reaching full maturity, accomplishing its purposes. It's just like, you know, when you want to propose to your girlfriend or boyfriend, you find a nice corner in the park, you decorate it nicely. It's not perfect, as in there's still flaws around, but it is perfect for a proposal. It accomplishes its purpose. That's what it means. So when it says God's strength is perfect, it means that God's strength accomplishes its purpose when you fall apart. Think about it for a moment. That means that God's strength kind of reaches maturity the more you are willing to fall apart. Wow, that's a paradox, man. God, I can't take this. That means that when I come apart and I don't want to come apart, that's ironically a time where God's strength holds you together like never before. Today, I want to invite you to turn to God's strength. Today, I want you to know that His grace is truly sufficient for you and He will hold you just when you think you are coming apart. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do feel that in my life, I've come apart. I've come apart at a time when my child is sick. I've come apart at times when I felt like giving up. And that's when God's strength comes and holds you together. Final discipleship lesson, and I'll close. The final lesson 
is to pursue His glory through your surrender. Yeah, it's one thing to get His strength, but it's all for His glory, my friends. God's strength is not that you may press on and live a good life. May I say that God's strength is that He may truly be glorified. You know, there's a statement that says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. May I also add that God is most glorified when we are most surrendered in Him. Surrendered to Him. He's glorified. Because when you are surrendered to Him, it's no longer about you, it's about Him. He takes control. He takes the center stage. And when you say, God, I cannot do it on my own, I will come apart. But yet in my coming apart and in your strength, Lord, I choose for your glory and not mine. It really reminds me of the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery. Can anybody guess what that is? Kintsugi. Kintsugi is golden joinery. It's the art of mending broken pottery by filling it with powdered gold. And guess what? When you think a pot is beyond repair, it's cracked. It is the gold that keeps it together. It is the gold that gives it its wholeness and strength. And my friends, just when you think you are falling apart, you are cracking, you are broken, you are coming apart, the gold of God comes and holds you together. Amen? The goal of God joins you together. And guess what? When you look at a kintsugi, you will see the goal. And the goal is glorified in the cracks. Here's the point. Sometimes the more cracked we are, what do you feel that crack? You feel it with God's goal. And when you feel it with God's goal, God's glory is more visible. Today will you come to God and say, Lord, I know that I'm not always strong. In times of my weakness, let the goal of the glory come. And let me glorify you in my surrender. Second Corinthians 4 tells us that we have treasure in jars of clay. It's one of my favorite verses. The treasure here is the gospel. It's a treasure that is in jars of clay. And jars of clay is this picture that you and I are fragile. And indeed we are. Look at what's happened the past week. We are fragile. So fragile. So easily broken. And yet in the brokenness, that's where the treasure is most visible. Think about it. It's when the pot is cracked and you see holes in it, then you know what's inside. It's the gold. It's the treasure. That makes it all so obvious. I remember a church member, she was hospitalized. It's a recurring thing. It's like a thorn in the flesh. She keeps going in and out of hospital. In a very recent episode, she almost lost her life. And she was texting me. She said, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm going to die. So I was like, spring up. Can we come? No, it was COVID time. We cannot come. And so I could only pray for her. But guess what? God turned her life around right there in the hospital. She felt her life slipping away. She was testifying. And God turned it around. And because she, she was alive, she began to testify to every patient in the ward. She began to go around and talk to the uncle and the auntie and say, I, how can I pray for you? Let me tell you my story. I almost died, you know. They go, wow, you almost died. Uh, yeah. You know, God saved me. God saved me. And in that ward, the glory of God's goal was shone through the cracked, broken part of her life. Golden joinery. Let the goal of God's glory shine through 
your brokenness through your surrender. My friends, what are your thoughts today? Will you embrace His purposes? And sometimes it's hard to accept that God will humble us through a thorn. But precisely that's what He needs to make us return to Him. Sometimes it's humbling to know that God's purposes is for us to surrender again and again. Will you do that? And as you do that, will you discover His strength? I want to speak to those especially with tonight, this evening, you feel you're coming apart. Would you allow His strength to hold you together? And this evening, some of you say, God, this is too much. I struggle. But yet in my struggle, Lord, in my cracked brokenness, let your glory, let your glory be shown. Would that be your posture this evening? Let me close with a story of my son, Timothy. It's quite a cute one. You know, many years ago, because he's quite old now, when he was a few years old, he hated haircuts. Nowadays, he loves haircuts, but when he was a few years old, he hated haircuts. And so when his hair had to be cut, right, because he affects hygiene and all that, I had to drag him to the, like, the barber, or not barber, la. it was like a sundeck shop, you know, guys, when he cut hair for children. And guess what? He will be crying his lungs out. And like his dad with a strong and loud voice, the whole of Suntech can hear him. And so I have to hold him down at the seat there and he will bow and cry and cry and cry and cry. And despite Barney on the TV, all of that didn't work. And I had to hold him down while the hairdresser quickly has like a 10 or 15 minute cut. And it's like the worst 10, 15 minutes of my life because it felt like eternity. He was crying the whole place down and he would say, Daddy, no, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And I'll keep telling him, it's okay, it's okay. Daddy's here, Daddy's right here with you. But guess what? He wasn't the only one crying. Because his daddy was tearing with him. Because it breaks my heart to see my son go through that. I wish I could take his place and have my hair cut. But that's not how it works, my friends. We as parents know that our kids need to go for the haircut. Will I stop bringing him for a haircut? No. Because he needs the haircut every now and then. Even though he kicks and screams again, the haircut is necessary. I want you to know that our Abba Father feels the pain of our thoughts. This is not some intellectual sermon. Embrace his purposes, pursue his glory. No. Our Abba Father knows your pain. Can you not see him crying in the night with you? Because he does. of the earth but when we cross over to eternity one day all will be clear but till then whatever thorns you're wrestling with which will allow God to hold you in his arms like the way I help my son and allow him to comfort you with his love you know there's a song that says God is too wise to be mistaken God is too good to be unkind. 
you don't understand, or you can't see His plan, or you can't trace His hand, you trust His heart. His heart is to hold your heart together, is to give you the strength when you fall apart. This evening, would you hear Abba whispering to you, My grace is sufficient for you. something. 